We have hope. Hope that things can get better. And they will. All right, folks, welcome to Bizzle's Daily Rebels. We are at episode uh, 11 or 12, depending on how you're counting, Idiot's Array. Now, I've said before that this is maybe the worst episode of Star Wars Rebels, which is saying something because it features Billy D. Williams as Lando Calrissian, who is one of my favorite characters in any property. Now, it'll be interesting now that we've seen Donald Glover do a great young Lando in the solo movie, and we know Billy D. is going to be at least guesting, if not featured, in episode 9. So I'm going to give this episode a new chance. I guess I'm going to mostly talk about the character of Lando, and I probably will talk about Solo as well, because it's mostly just him, you know, being super smooth. And I guess the biggest problem, which I'll just get out of the way now, is he's almost doing a parody of himself. I'm not sure if that was direction or he just thought that's what the people wanted. So we'll have to see. Also, S. Morgan and his side characters are are not great. Um, So, uh, you know, we'll we'll just have to see how it goes. Um, It's the 11th episode of the first season. Um, It features Billy D. Williams. It premiered uh, January 12th and 19th. It centers around the crew of the ghost working for Lando um, after Zeb loses a Sabak bet. And uh, we will go from there. So cue up your Blu-rays, DVDs, digital files to 000. And I'm going to lead us into the countdown. All right, here we go. Three, two, one, go. All right, folks. Welcome to one of my least favorite episodes, at least historically, Idiot's Array. As I mentioned in the intro, it sucks that I don't like this episode because it's got Billy D as Lando. The problem is, even with just the original trilogy, this is a stereotype or, or parody of his character. Um, and then, just like we've learned so much more about Han Solo and his great heart deep down in Solo, A Star Wars Story, we also learned that, that Lando has a good heart deep down. But you didn't really need to even see Solo, A Star Wars Story. Hold on, I'm going to adjust the mic real quick. Sorry about that. Um, but certainly Solo Star Wars Story cements that he's got a great heart. Um, and so this doesn't really make sense. And on top of that, the six-issue Lando comic, not the new ones with Donald Glover, but the, from like 2015, there was a six-issue run in which he's in a really bad situation. And, and he comes off as quite a good guy. And if you look at the, his progression in Empire and Return of the Jedi, it's clear that he's just scared silly by Darth Vader and who wouldn't, and he makes a fuck up, but he immediately joins the Rebels, tries to find Han, and leads the attack on the second Death Star. So, the fact that this is not that long, maybe a couple of years at most, before A New Hope in Empire, um, you know, I guess like Han, this is his scoundrel phase, right? So, as I've talked about with Simi on our commentaries and other podcasts, it's clear that the solo of, you know, End of Empire and then Return of the Jedi, who's really a good guy, and in, in, in not a scoundrel is the real solo, but because of his debts to Jabba and just the lawlessness of the Empire period and the Outer Rim and so forth, you know, does some things that maybe he'll regret later. 
the bigger problem is his hitting on Hera and, you know, let's put it this way. This sounds like a really good impersonator doing a uh, exaggerated Billy D. Williams. And as I've talked about, the impersonations of Billy D. Williams, you know, from the beer commercials or whatever, actually is not what he sounds like in, in the original trilogy. He, he's pretty subtle. I mean, at the very beginning when we meet him and he's hitting on Leia, you can sort of say, okay, you know, he's, he's a little bit of a smooth talker, but he, he, because of the situation, he, he tones it down pretty quickly. So I guess they what they lost Chopper in the in the in the Sabak. So this takes place for BBY, okay? So that means this is four years before New Hope. And uh, Empire Strikes Back when we meet him is. 3ABY. So I guess, yeah, this is seven years before Empire. So, right, just like Han, he's sort of in his scoundrel phase. So, you know. I just don't think they knew how to write for him, or they were. Orlando thought this is what the people wanted, especially for kids. You know, he. I, I get it. So either they didn't know how to write for him, it was bad direction, and or he thought this is what the people wanted, and because he's Billy D. Williams, who's a legend, it, within and without Star Wars, they were too scared, or it just wasn't worth it for them to you know coach him or to strongly direct him to not do this. The bigger problem, though, is that the plot is annoying. This is emblematic of when they don't know what to do in Rebels. Occasionally, they do kind of predictable, you know, double-cross, triple-cross, you know, uh, scum and villainy stuff, which is great. And I actually prefer to battle after battle after battle between clones and droids. That would be sort of the comparison of, you know, in the Clone Wars, they fall back on clones and droids fighting. Here, they fall back on sort of the Firefly-type missions, but less interesting and less funny. They don't end up doing much world building other than Zeb being a, a better. And this, I guess this is important to sell that even though they're running smug, smuggler stuff, they're running, what am I trying to say? They are smugglers of a certain sort. The, the ghost crew that this guy is beyond what they're willing to do both in terms of the specific storyline and just his whole personality. Of course, we know some... Well, look, if you've seen Rogue One, we know that at least Hera, the Ghost, and Chopper survive. And and if with Force of Destiny, we know that they survive through and, and past Return of the Jedi. There are other characters that do as well. There are other characters we're not sure about, but like I said, I'm going to wait till the end of Season 1, early Season 2 to start talking about the final season of Rebels and the final reveals in the final episodes of the final season of Rebels. So, there you have it. But we're getting to the point where they're going to join the main Rebel fleet. Now, Hera's already in touch with Fulcrum and the fleet without the Ghost crew knowing it, but we need the crew to get on board with it. And so the characters have to have experiences like this where certain levels of scum and villainy are too much. 
Now, what is fun is when we start getting Hondo, sort of an older, more toned-down Hondo, less cutthroat, but still a you know, cheating bastard, from the Clone Wars in Rebels, and the relationship that Ezra forms with Hondo that, that, that always gets them in trouble, but ultimately you know, saves their asses. Um, this is sort of an early version of it. They realized... Look, I'm not going to say they couldn't get Billy D again. They realized that Billy D didn't quite fit in this world, at least this version of it. And as Morgan is just ugly and hard to listen to and just uninteresting, ultimately. This episode smells faintly of characters acting out of character. It's not well written. It just feels like a slog. Usually there's something you can hold on to, at least one character being developed. Now, what I would have done is, since Zeb was the one who fucked this up by losing in Sabacc and betting stuff he shouldn't have bet, it it should have been more based on Zeb than Hera. I'm constantly complaining. My biggest complaint about the Rebel series is not enough Zeb, because the Zeb-focused episodes, whether it's his interactions with, with, with Callus or him discovering his secret new homeworld in the mysticism of his people, etc., 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 talking about the genocide of his people, is so great. And Steve Blum is awesome as, as Zeb. And he just doesn't get enough to do. And I'm not sure why, because in a lot of ways... He's the most interesting because he plays dumb. He plays like he's just a giant beefcake, you know, just pure muscle like Jane. But he has much more heart than Jane from Firefly and is actually much smarter. It's almost like a defense mechanism that he puts on stupidity. The problem is the the defense mechanism of stupidity sometimes goes too far and he follows it too far. But as the series goes on, he starts to he wise up and, and gets smarter about it. Um, so, uh, you know, the biggest, so the biggest criticism of Solo, a Star Wars story was that it was too much fan service, but as I've talked about 80 to 85% of it is, is great, but they, they went too far, like explaining how Chewie got his name. Everyone hated how Solo got his name. And even though it's such a small part of the movie, it's, it's very memorable in a negative way and left a bad taste in people's mouth. You know, as Matty Goisman said, he doesn't give two shits about the Kessel run. And I think Matt was trying to say, and many people who are casual Star Wars fans was like, you know, they had built up all of Solo's adventures in their head. They didn't need it with new actors and being told exactly what happened. Unfortunately, what people like Matt and other people who didn't see Solo don't understand is that it's not about the details of the plot of the Kessel Run. It's just about the like you know with the with Rogue One when Solo's hitting and it usually hits is the character development and what happens leading to the Kessel Run and during the Kessel Run and the gloriousness of this, the space race, you know, and, and the creatures they meet and, and so forth. Um, it, you know, it's the world building stuff. When they start trying to explain things we already know, then you're entering, entering prequel territory, which Rogue One avoids almost across the board. Even when they bring in prequel stuff like Bail Organa and, you know, Saw Gerrera in particular, you know, they're, they're really creating new stories and new adventures for those characters. And I think 
you know, this is a case of another episode where they're explaining some stuff that they just don't need to explain. Um, but anyways, I, one of the biggest surprises for me... Oh, so the other main complaint that I actually haven't heard that much, because most hardcore fans who saw Solo love it, at least like people like Tim and Paul that I talked to loved it. Um, and so this isn't a complaint I've heard, but it's certainly one you could have, which is, so, you know, Han Solo... It, 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 in the end is is far more like the han solo at the end of empire and return of the jedi and doesn't really explain how he gets so scoundrelly and becomes like a murderer even in, in you know in between the events of solo a star wars story and you know empire strikes back or whatever or at least the end of new hope and lando's the same way as i've been talking about it is they both have great hearts, so something must have happened where they start, you know, being scum and not the good kind, not the rebel scum, but smuggler scum uh, in between that, you know, in between Solo and, and Empire Strikes Back, essentially. I, I, like I said, I haven't heard that complaint, and it helps that people, you know, love Donald Glover, which we sort of expected, and loved Alden Ehrenreich, which I was prepared for, but a lot of people weren't. Um, you know, people love the cast overall, but especially those two guys. And of course, Chewie, I loved Amelia Clark as well. No secret. I'm a big Amelia Clark fan. I think she's very underrated with her subtle and important performance. Oh, here comes the puffer pigs or whatever. Um, but, uh, Donald Glover actually had less screen time and less to do than I was expecting. Now, a lot of it depends on whether you bought his relationship with L L7, I can't remember her name, uh, the female droid, who I think it's like a 70-30 split between those who liked L7 and those who didn't. I'm somewhere in between. I, I, I didn't find her character that likable. And, you know, I, I, look, I'm all about sold through performance and, and Lando's like semi-romantic, you know, semi-brother-sister, semi-friendship relationship with her was was interesting. Ultimately, the robot rebellion was a distraction. It was too much on the nose. And if it wasn't for Donald Glover selling her death with, with cries and screams and so forth, I'm not sure I would have bought into it. Um, so I guess what I'm saying is L7 overall, I'm with the 70% that liked her. I just didn't love her. And the fact that they felt like they needed that for Lando's character development maybe shows that <clears throat> Kasdan, uh, Lawrence Kasdan, who wrote it, um, wasn't exactly sure what to do. And so therefore, uh, Donald Glover had less screen time than I was expecting. But as I said, he stole parts of the show by not stealing parts of the show. He could have easily seen, seen stole. He easily could have stolen scenes from the other characters but he lays back in the cut and is just charismatic and somewhat laid back which was the right choice definitely because he like i said because of expectations because people knew glover and loved him already and alden ehrenreich was a wild card to say the least in people's minds um glover did the right thing and not trying to steal the movie unfortunately you know they were planning on it doing decently well even with the director shakeup and the reshoots enough where they maybe would make one or two other movies. We know that they have contracts. It seems unlikely with all the new projects and, and the relative financial failure of Solo that they would. That being said, with the Disney Channel coming and them promising all sorts of new shows, I feel like a, sh- a, a miniseries exploring uh, Lando and, and or Han more is very much in the picture. And the DVD and Blu-ray sales are through the roof. 
Sold out on Amazon, sold out on Target. Luckily, I ordered the, the Steelbook from Target quite a while ago. Um, but uh, if they get a lot of aftermarket sales, you know, and people really get into it and give it a chance on television and media, then maybe we'll see some more. But unfortunately, you know, they wrote Lando, I think, as if they were going to write more at Lando. Now, of course, it should be said the obvious, which is, you know, while Han Solo was created by George Lucas, he doesn't really become the Han Solo we know and love until Empire Strikes Back with his relationship with Leia and, of course, with Lando. When Lawrence Kasdan wrote that script, um, and then, of course, Kasdan wrote, co-wrote with Lucas Return of the Jedi, where I actually love Han Solo and Return of the Jedi, it just sort of depends on if you like just Solo the Scoundrel or you like his sort of moral arc. I already liked Solo's uh, Han's moral arc in the original trilogy. It makes even way more sense when you see Solo's story, which was written by Kasdan. I guess what I'm saying is the guy who created, who fleshed out Solo to legendary status, you know, had a vision of who he was. And so whether you agree with that vision of young Han Solo or not, that's the vision of the the you know the creator of complex solo from empire and jedi and as i've mentioned in other podcasts while you almost never promote a movie based on the writer unless it's a writer director like taylor sheridan with wind river or ryan johnson and jj abrams with their star wars movies they should have found a way to tell people look you know empire strikes back and for the most part return of the jedi which you fans love to death and especially han solo the character you love to death well the guy who made him who he really is gave him legendary status is the guy writing solo and so there must have been some way to market it so to, to educate people about that and they didn't the trailers weren't that great um the the hype machine and the marketing wasn't there it's just interesting after all the money they spent reshooting a lot of the movie bringing in ron howard bringing back all those actors paying up more money paying for the reshoots they wouldn't invest a little bit more in marketing and pr of course it didn't help it came less than six months after return after last jedi which split the fan base so a lot of people already like protesting star wars which i'll never understand but whatever um they should have released it in christmas everyone is accustomed three years in a row force awakens rogue one last jedi which all did very well in christmas why with Avengers and Black Panther and Deadpool, they wanted to do a spring release, um, makes zero sense, but they'll learn the lessons and episode nine, you know, we won't get till the end of 2019, but it will do extremely well. Cause it's the final episode of the Skywalker saga. It's the final episode of the new trilogy. It's JJ Abrams. It's Billy D Williams. We know Carrie Fisher footage is going to be involved. Mark Hamill, for the most part, people love Kylo and Ray. People like Finn and Poe, even though they've been criminally underdeveloped. Hopefully, Keller Marie Tran, who's been unfairly attacked, to say the least, as Rose. Um, like, even if Rose was great in episode eight, she still would have gotten attacked for being Asian, I think. The problem is she got the weakest material with Finn, and th- that was the weakest storyline. So hopefully they'll give her better material. Um, I'm really proud of her and happy that she came out publicly and wrote a beautiful, if, you know, sad piece about the situation for the New York Times. But it's making waves, and, you know, as I've been saying, uh, Star Wars fans and the sort of positive side of the Star Wars media have been closing ranks against the haters and not you know cowering be uh, you know uh um let me you know not cowering behind their positivity but being proactive about it if that makes sense so anyways billy d williams episode nine i have no idea what he's going to do now some people said 
you know, I personally love Maz Kanata. My problem with Maz is we haven't gotten enough of her. She's she was great in episode seven. She had a throwaway bit that was funny in episode eight. A lot of people didn't like. People said Billy D. Williams could fulfill that role. Now he could not have fulfilled that role in episode seven because she had to have that great force moment with Ray and talking to her about closing her eyes and feeling the force and trying to give her the lightsaber and blah blah blah. Episode eight that could have been Billy D. on the hologram. And I think since everyone expects somewhat of a time jump, at least a couple of years between episode eight and nine, they're going to be trying to rally their, their allies. It's interesting why Billy D wouldn't be involved up to this point. They're going to have to explain that because, you know, even though Leia is so distrustful with him, distrustful of him for distrustful of him for good reason in empire, by the time they're working together to save Han and they're all generals in the rebellion, it's clear that they're on the same side, even though they don't interact that much. So it wouldn't make sense, even with Leia's partial estrangement from Han, it it doesn't make sense that we don't see him in Bloodline, that we don't hear about him in Episode 7 and Episode 8. So they're going to have to figure out why he hasn't been involved, because he's a straight-up rebel leader, uh, clearly, by the end of Return of the Jedi. Um, you know, people are going to have to get over the fact that not everyone is Harrison Ford and Mark Hamill, like Carrie Fisher and Billy Williams. You can tell that they're aging. They put on weight. They look older. Harrison Ford is a freak of nature who continues to be great looking and in great shape, uh, even though he's the oldest. Um, but like with Leia and Luke, they should play to the fact that he's older. But like Hondo, you know, who has a major age jump between the Clone Wars and Rebels, he still can be a, a you know, a scoundrel. And in fact, a sco- you know, an experienced scoundrel that also was a big part of the Rebellion historically is exactly what they need, especially with Han gone. Um, you know, I talk about how it's not just for her character and story reasons that they make Han and Lando the two main generals of the ground and, and space attacks at the end of Return of the Jedi, but they realize that their unorthodox, creative, you know, almost irrational bravery uh, is exactly what the rebellion needs, as exemplified by, you know, Admiral Akbar wanting to retreat immediately upon learning that the Death Star shield is still up, and, and Lando being like, no, we're going to go at it even harder. And, you know, Han, obviously, with Leia leading the way on the surface. It's exactly what they need. (laughs) Right. They're even teasing that they'll meet again. Sorry I didn't talk about the episode, guys. I thought it was more important to talk about Billy D, uh, Donald Glover, and the character of Lando. I hope you enjoyed that. You know, I mean, this is the thing. This is an episode I totally can relax to at the end of the day and enjoy. Um but I would have made Zeb the center, not just at the beginning and end. I love Hera, but she's so straight ahead and she's even more straight ahead than Leia. And they wait so long to get the romance going with her and Kanan. Spoiler alert. Um, Although once the rebellion gets going and she starts developing complex views about what the rebellion should and shouldn't do and how to lead it, um, you know, at the moment, let's put it this way. You know I love my badass Star Wars female characters, but at the moment, Sabine and Hera are less interesting than Kanan and Ezra, and I think that's why they were trying to push them up. The problem is the episode that's, episodes that Sabine... There you go. The episodes that um, uh, Sabine and, and um, Hera have in the first season you know, are, are way less interesting 
and they they should have just embraced Zeb and given him more stuff. They start fixing it next season. <clears throat> Excuse me. I got a little bit of a frog in my throat today. So that's Idiot's Array. I wasn't watching it close enough uh, to say whether it's still my least favorite episode, but it's definitely not one of my favorites and not one that I rewatch a lot, but I certainly enjoyed doing this with you. Next up is... Um, Let's see. Next up is Vision of Hope. Um, and oh, right. So this is the Gal Travis episode, Brent Spiner's character. And it, it's great, even though you can sort of tell that he's, he's evil even before this episode. The fact that it's a self-fulfilling prophecy that ends up going wrong even though everything follows what Ezra thinks is his vision is great and totally speaks to the nature of prophecy, the philosophy of prophecy and, you know, the being trapped by, um, prophecy, which I love of course in star Wars and Dune and elsewhere. So thank you so much for joining me. I will see you, um, for uh, vision of hope with the amazing Brent Spiner. May the force be with you. And the bizzle is out. <laughs>